that Saturday has rolled around once again, folks. Welcome to Inside the Outdoors. You know, it's weird on a week when you get that holiday right in the middle, okay? Uh, like the 4th of July a couple of weeks ago and, and of course, uh, the 24th of July this past weekend. Hope you had a chance to get out, enjoy the triple digits <laughs> up north here. Boy, that was a weird week, wasn't it? I mean, I started looking at the car and you've got 113 degrees showing on it when it's sitting out in the sun. And then even when it settles down a little bit, it's still in triple digits. What a heck of a week. You know, it took summer a while to get here for us. That spring seemed like it was going to go on forever and ever and ever. Uh, and the rains and everything else. And then, man, the summer just dropped in on us. And uh, before you know it, we're going to start thinking about hunting season and everything else. It is definitely... Kind of a strange time of year, and we're in the dog days of summer. If there ever were any, this has got to be it. Got a big show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, about the Paiute ATV Jamboree. That's coming up a little later in the show. We'll also be talking with George Summer. He'll talk to us about fishing, along with Gary Winterton with Hooked on Utah. So all that is ahead. But uh, to start the show, uh, we are definitely honored to have the uh, Director of State Division of Wildlife Resources, Mike Folks, who joins us. Uh, not only is he the head guy here in Utah, but uh, some things have happened over the summer that gets Utah more represented as far as on the uh, western regional uh, wildlife situation. And uh, I'm going to bring Mike in right now. First of all, thank him for joining us on this uh, Saturday morning broadcast. Uh, because, Mike, uh, first of all, thanks and congratulations. You have just been voted as, I'm not telling you, I'm telling our audience, the president of the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. But you can tell us what that means to you, what it means to the state. Uh, and again, thanks for being here. Oh, no, no problem. Thanks, Steve, for having me. Um, yeah, so I, I was honored. There was a, a vote of the directorship last week at the uh, Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies um, annual meetings, and they voted me in as president. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm humbled to think that they have the, the uh, trust in my abilities to, to move this organization forward. Um, I need to tell you, we, we've been working hard on a uh, new strategic plan and uh, a new set of bylaws, and we're really looking at moving the, the organization forward and being much much more efficient in, in how we do business uh, for all of this region's wildlife. Well, I, I know a little bit about it, thanks to the great work of your public information officer. Faith Jolly, by the way, is absolutely terrific, and she sent me the email. Uh, this agency, uh, the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, uh, began back in the 20s, and it's, I, I guess, a coordinated effort with the various uh, Western agencies. Uh, here we call it Divisional Wildlife Resources. Other places call it Fishing Game, other states. But it, it, correct me if I'm wrong or expand on this for us. This is this is the cooperative that allows everybody to kind of be on the same page philosophically, right? Or hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. This um, We get together and, and uh, coordinate uh, research efforts. We, we uh, talk about common issues and common threats and how we deal with them. And everybody shares their latest and greatest ideas, and, and we're just looking to increase that communication and make sure that we're doing nobody's duplicating efforts and that we're doing things um, as efficiently as we possibly can. Are, are there a lot of overlaps? Are there a lot of shared um, things? I mean, you look at our we're the second driest state in the in the country. Uh, do we have similar? 
um, issues and similar things that apply to us as, say, would apply to Idaho or Montana or uh, Wyoming, places that aren't the same from a climate standpoint, but obviously we have the same kind of big game uh, with elk and deer and, you know, an antelope and things of that nature. Is there a lot of common ground? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, wildlife don't recognize state borders, and they <laughs> often cross it. So um, we we need to manage and need to uh, to work together. You know, because uh, these things don't uh, don't recognize the state borders at all. Um, with regard to uh, you know, we have a lot in common with Nevada uh, because they're very similar. They're the driest state, I believe, in in the nation, and and so we have a lot in common with Nevada on how we manage things. But uh, certainly, you know, uh, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Um, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, we all, we all have the same species of wildlife that we're dealing with mostly. And, uh, and so it's, it's good to, uh, to have that common ground. Now, you also, from what I gather, became the direct sponsor for the Mule Deer Working Group, too, which is, is that underneath uh, the uh, Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies? Is that, uh, is that part of it? How, how does that dovetail with it? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a committee that the uh, directors, the Western Association directors, um, put together some years ago to deal with again talking about these commonalities, the, the common issue of managing and and researching um, uh, mule deer uh, in the in the states that have mule deer. So this is a committee that was put together by the directors. It consists of our technical folks who work in the field. Um, and they represent each of their states um, with regard to what research is going on, what work's being done, you know, management strategies, all this good stuff. They get together and they share this throughout all the states that have mule deer. And then my job is to be the director sponsors to report back to the directors as a whole if there's any decisions that need to be made. Yeah, I imagine this is another one of those areas where the coordination is important because you don't want to duplicate efforts. Uh, budgets are limited. I'm sure every other state goes through the same thing that we do. You've got finite uh, financial resources, and you don't want to be duplicating them if you don't have to. Exactly. And, you know, and with the secretarial order that uh, discusses uh, migration corridors um, and and the interstate crossing of wildlife, uh, it's it's critical for all of the states to work together to understand these migration patterns and work together on management. Talk to me. Uh, let's talk a little philosophy because you know over the years we've certainly seen. Uh, our divisional wildlife resource change, and I think much for the better, by the way, I want to tell you, and I've said it before on this program, and I'll say it again, I think when we look at what's happened in our state for fish and game and opportunities for outdoorsmen, uh, we are so much in better shape than we were, say, 20, 30 years ago. The, the direction, I think, has been terrific. What do you see as your biggest challenges coming up, say, in the next decade or so? I, I think managing our wildlife into the future with with the expected population boom that Utah is is seeing and is going to see uh, it's going to be much much more critical for us to focus on quality areas for wildlife and and um, being on the cutting edge for management as we as we start dealing with a population of four maybe five million people how do you get out ahead of that because you can only do obviously so much we talked about the financial resources limitation a little bit but but not only from financial standpoint but just from spatial standpoint you know you're not sure where that next development's going to pop up what kind of range we're going to encroach on when it comes to that or water quality of things of that nature how do you stay out in front of it 
That's a that's a really good question. I, I, I think in Utah we we've been on the cutting edge because we uh, we uh, have our watershed restoration initiative uh, that started some twenty years ago um, with the, my predecessor Kevin Conway was the director. Um, but we've we put lots and lots of money on the ground to improve habitat range wide and probably more. Well, I know for a fact we put more. Uh, acres into re- restoration than any other state in the union, uh, and it's based on this restoration, uh, watershed restoration initiative that we have in place. It it allows us to leverage dollars. We I think we put somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty seven million dollars on the ground this year wow. for habitat restoration. So that's how we're staying on the cutting edge now. That's we're we're making sure the habitat we have is the best possible habitat it can be. You know, I know philosophically things change over the years, and I think one of the big changes that I've seen from the outside is that the change in multiple species from a fishery standpoint. Um, you know, I go back to those days when we when we uh, had the trout stamp, and um, and I know there's some folks still from the DWR probably retired by now, but but I railed against that when I was at Channel Four years ago because it seemed like you know, double taxation for something. But now we are a state that has so much more than trout fishing. We still have great trout fisheries in our state, but the addition of other species, uh, I think, has made us one of the premier states for fisheries in the in the entire country. We have such a diversity of uh, ability for different sport fish uh, species that it doesn't really matter where you come from. A lot of people come from bass country. A lot of people come from walleye country, uh, and different areas around the around the nation. And they can come in here and still continue to enjoy their fishery and maybe take up a, a, another one that they hadn't had in their home state. It's just, I think, an amazing uh, morphing of of all kinds of species into this one area and i just think it's it's one of the the real success stories of uh, of wildlife management that we see here in the state of utah i'm glad you said that steve you're going to be talking to gary winterton and, and to george summers later in the yep. show uh, both of those guys will be talking about the quality fishing that we have in the state um and it's the, the reason we're, we we've got this now is because we had people visionary people working for the agency Ten years ago, that started in this direction to develop warm and cool water hatchery systems to um, to provide um, sterile fish so that mm-hmm. we can protect our native cutthroat, our native fishes, and still have this this wide variety of fishery that we do because we we put sterile fish in in those drainages and then you're not going to have them um, uh, reproducing and, and causing problems down the road. So uh, we've been able to do some really great things really great things on the um, on the fishery side the aquatic side and i'm really excited about where we're headed yeah i remember i remember those early days uh when wayne gustavison sorry about that uh, was <laughs> trying to lobby for uh putting the stripers in lake powell that was such a a far-reaching novel concept at the time to try that and now boy you look at that and we think well gee that's that's old technology that's what we have done now with these sterile species is absolutely amazing i think tiger muskie and wipers and you know down the line um, yeah. we, we really have enhanced a fishery that was pretty darn good to begin with, but now I think it's got to be one of the showcase fisheries in the entire country. We think so, and we're going to continue to make it better. I, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think our the visionaries we had working for us a while ago that uh, 
put together this program, this direction, have done an amazing job, and we and we know where we're headed, and we're going to make it even better. Where where can you go from this? I mean, are there other species that uh, that we can look at? Are there other hybrids uh, that you could look at down the line? Or I mean, at some point we have to kind of reach the end of the line, don't we? Just from a carrying capacity with our waters, or um, you know, yeah. just that ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. There's a limit to what we can do. Obviously, being the second dry state in the nation. Um, but um, what we're looking at now is there's there's new technologies out there, new experiments going on to deal with you know sterile walleye, um, so that we don't have uh, uh, illegal introductions that cause problems down the road. Uh, we're looking at uh, ways to manage populations of, of invasives like uh, like uh, common carp in in Utah Lake. We're looking at a way at ways we can make put fish in there that are sterile to drive down the population. So there's lots of good stuff going on, and, and it's just dealing with this on, on the edge of things here to, to make sure that we can control invasives that we've got and, and enhance the, the fishing opportunities we have. Well, like I said, I, I'm a fan. You guys, have, I think, have done an amazing job. Um, on behalf of, of fishermen, let me thank you because my my fishing experience certainly has been enhanced over the last 25 years because of the, the change in direction, and I, I think you've done an amazing job. The other thing is I think you guys are obviously smart enough to recognize that the more you satisfy the, the need of the fishermen, the less problems you have with that you know midnight stocking and things of that moving fish around. And so, from a from a fisherman's standpoint, um, you know that's that, that's obviously a great way to go as well. Is you you minimize your law enforcement. There are always a few knuckleheads out there, and guys, if you're out there listening, you know who you are. Please, they don't need any more help. Maybe there was a time when when uh, biologists were in the wildlife department were, were not responsive to us, but that time has long since passed. And the proof of that is in what we have as a resource to fish for. Uh, we don't need the uh, the midnight stalking that some folks seem to uh, to think that we did at some point in time, but I think you guys are wise from uh, from a law enforcement standpoint to recognize that this has this has helped mitigate some of that uh, that philosophy of well we're going to help ourselves because we don't need to do it anymore. <clears throat> You're absolutely right, Steve. That was that was um, uh, one of the goals and objectives we had when we went this way is to provide the opportunities that fishermen want so that they don't have to try to create their own i think we've been fairly successful i need to apologize i'm i'm outside talking to you on <laughs> that's my okay cell phone and there. the train went by and honked his horn at the road um, <laughs> that's all I, right i apologize for something i couldn't control but yeah. anyway um I, I i i like where our aquatic section's heading and i think you're absolutely spot on in, in the, the programs we put forward provide um anglers with what they want so they don't have to take things into their own hands well mike congratulations on the appointment uh uh with the western association and again it's nice to know that we're being so well represented and and keep up the good work you guys are, are doing a great job i just one last thing steve i just really like to to give a, a plug for all the employees that work for the division of wildlife i have over 500 employees all dedicated passionate and and love wildlife and love what they're doing. Yeah, and and they do an amazing job. And uh, we're grateful that we get a chance to you know interface with you guys on a weekly basis through Faith's efforts, uh, providing us with guests for this program. Because I think communication is one of the keys. The more we know about the reasons uh, behind things, I think the easier it is to uh, to get compliance. Not that you have to explain things to us, but I just think that that communication process and it works both ways. I know you've solicited 
solicited and continue to solicit sportsmen's input uh, through rack meetings and things of that nature. And and my message to the listeners out there, you sportsmen, look, if you don't like what's going on, then talk about it. The, the opportunity, the avenue for communication exists now, unlike it has ever done before, I think. And, and if you don't take advantage of it, you've got no one to blame but yourself because you have a chance to be heard. It doesn't mean that you're always going to get everything you want, but certainly we are much, much more, I think, a part of the decision-making process than we have ever been before. And if you don't take advantage of that, you're crazy. And we're always looking for ways we can improve on what we have now, too, with well, regards to communication. Faith, Faith is a, a new hire at the division, and we're happy to have her, and she's doing a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you again, and uh, congratulations one more time, Mike. Thank you, Steve. All right, that is uh, Mike Folks, the director of uh, the Utah State Division of Wildlife Resources, has now uh, been named as the president of the Western Association of uh, Fish and Wildlife. And again, a great opportunity for us to uh, continue and to be able to get uh, uh, representation for the state of Utah. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we will be talking to the aforementioned George Summer and Gary Winterton. That's all ahead right here on Inside the Outdoors. Stick around. We will be right back. And welcome back, everybody, inside the outdoors on this Saturday morning. The heart of summer, the heart of the summer heat, and that means dog days. And that means fishing can be tough unless you get out of the heat and move up to the higher elevations. And George Summer joins us to talk about just that because, George, you've got a trip planned where you're going to get out of the heat a little bit and get up to one of our higher mountain lakes that I think is one of the most scenic that we have in the entire state, and that's Fish Lake. It, it is. You know, it's, it's so awesome. And Fish Lake right now, there's so many different opportunities and and the people are probably going to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to Fish Lake to catch some perch um, <laughs> because I love to eat perch, and a lot of my friends like to eat perch too. And that's a quick and easy place to get them. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of them, and and they are getting a little bit bigger. They're, that perch uh, derby there has been uh, kind of thinning things out a little bit, and then some of the other uh, predators in there have been taking care of them. Uh, one of these days, that's going to start producing some pretty decent sized perch, I think. But right now, you've certainly got numbers up there. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think the last word I heard was they estimated between four and five million perch in fish life. <laughs> you got to be able so, to get one. You, you might get one then, right? Or a couple hundred. You know? <laughs> and and they're not going back in the lake, so it's it's going to be uh, <clears throat> whether they're small or big, they're going to get eaten for something. Yeah, and uh, you know, perch are like second only to walleye as far as my favorite uh, fish to fillet and cook. Same family. You know, yes, people exactly. Yeah, people call it walleye pike, but there's really a perch. A walleye and a perch are in the same family, so and they do. They taste. They taste so similar. It's just the walleye are typically a little bit larger, unless you go to a few areas uh, uh, around the west. But let's talk about some things that are changing at Fish Lake. If people are going to Fish Lake, they need to be aware. There's some work being done on the marinas. Yeah. So right now, last night uh, when I looked uh, the other day, they were. They were starting work on Lakeside, um, and I know they're going to work on Bowery Haven, and they're going to do some stuff at Fish Lake Lodge. I don't think they're doing all three of them at the same time, but as part of the uh, you know efforts to make it a little easier for people to boat and launch their boats at Fish Lake, 
you're doing some upgrades there. That was all paid for by um, boaters and anglers through motor boat access funds. That's great. Yeah, and and it is to listen. The, one of the one of the appeals I think of Fish Lake is the fact that it's uh, it's that kind of throwback look with the lodges and everything else. But but from a facility standpoint, you've got to stay ahead of the curve, especially with the amount of pressure that it gets. And as you said, some of the larger boats that are in there now, those marinas were built, you know, in the 30s and 40s, maybe updated in the 50s, but they they've been around for a long time. And it is chance a nice chance to get a, an opportunity to uh, to maybe do some a little bit more enhancement on them, but it, it doesn't ruin the uh, the experience of Fish Lake. There's nothing like it, as far as I'm concerned, in our state. I love it. Uh, and, I, and I agree too. You know, it's it's just you know some of the docks. I think are they're uh, my, you know I I don't know how many times I've tried to tip myself off the dock, <laughs> um, and so they're just making it a little bit bigger to accommodate more people and, and bigger boats and, 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 you know, just a better experience launching. Because once you get out on the, the lake, the experience is just phenomenal. And it's it's one of the, the coolest places in the state that I've been to. And, and there's, like I say, you know, I'm going for perch, but there's rainbows, there's uh, splate, there's lake trout, there's tiger muskies. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can catch in there. And you just, it's up at 9,000 feet elevation, so it's going to be a little cooler. Um, just got a plan on the wind at Fish Lake. It's also got some great history. If if you're going up that area and, you know, you go from Fish Lake over to Johnson Reservoir, take a look at some of the history uh, that was there. I, I mean, you know, during the uh, Native American uh, they would run their horses from there down to Mexico and then get things in Mexico and come back. It was a real migratory route uh, during that time, and it's got some amazing history. It does, and, and you know the that they've uh, put there's little along the, the lakeside trail there. Um, there's a lot of little historical, I don't know what you call them, kiosks or, or little tables with with what you know has, has been has happened in the past officially, and how important it was um, throughout history here in Utah. Well, George, we wish you the best next week. You got any real quick tips on where you might try this week? What have you heard? Uh, and, my, the place I would go if I was going uh, this week would be East Canyon. Um, it's been, you know, some people have had a tough time there, but overall, most of the people I've talked to have done really well at East Canyon, whether it's from shore or from the uh, a boat. And I, I did talk to one guy, and they caught like 30 fish in one spot. Wow. Um, they, were, they were huge, but um, it was nonstop action for them. So, uh, you know, I think East Canyon would be my number one pick, and and, uh, you know, Deer Creek would probably be number two. Is East Canyon, uh, are the, uh, and I haven't fished it for probably three or four weeks. Well, actually, since I went out with Gary, we were bass fishing up there several weeks ago. But is the, uh, have the bass bite gone off? Are you hearing anybody catching wipers up there? Um, what's, you know, what's been the bite? But, well, the, 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 most of the guys I talked to were, were focused on catching trout. Okay. Um, I have talked to some people that caught small wipers. Um, and the bass fishing has been best first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to taper off from there. So, you know, if I was going to go up there and I, I'd want to get there as soon as I could, and I'd start throwing top water first thing in the morning, and I would focus on those little um, uh, bays by the launch there and just work those all the way to the back and, and stay on that same uh, state park side and fish that first thing in the morning till that top water bite dies. And you're probably going to have to drop shot or med rig it. 
if you want to keep with that, or you can, um, you know, run some jerk baits uh, when they move off a little bit, and you'll probably get some wipers doing that too. And then switch over to the trout uh, in the middle of the day. And again, that thermocline—that's the—that's the key as to finding them, especially in this type of temperatures. Man, those triple digits just play hell with the uh, with the trout, and they, and they want to find that oxygenated water. Yeah, exactly. And most fish are that way too. You know, they're not gonna—they're not gonna stay in that superheated water for very long. Nope. Um, uh, they'll come up and feed, and then they're going to move back. And so as long as you understand that process, you can catch them first thing in the morning. You're going to catch them, and they're going to buzz. You can keep catching them as they move deeper and switch up and, and even change species, like you said. Uh, focus on that thermocline, and you're going to catch fish all day. Well, George, have a great trip to uh, Fish Lake, and we'll check on it next week. We'll get the report, okay? Definitely. All right, George Summer. Heading up to Fish Lake. Give him a wide berth, folks. He's going to catch a lot of uh, a lot of those perch before the week is over. Ah, yes, the dirt road, the bandana tied to a cane pole, and heading down in those cutoff shorts. The redheaded one himself. It's Gary Winterton with Hooked on Utah. GW, how you doing? I am doing fantastic, and uh, you know. Just so long as you're not visualizing me walking down in Daisy Duke, more long shorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I'll go along with that. Hey, listen, uh, we uh, we talked about the heat earlier in the show, and then in our next segment, we're going to talk about ATVs. But you had a chance to get out of the heat this week and visit. Uh, we, we're talking Paiute Trail in our final segment, but you had a chance to visit another one of the most picturesque portions of the uh, of the state this week for your show tonight. If it's Saturday, that means it's hooked on utah tonight at 11.02 on KUTV, and uh, you and our uh, our old buddy down above richfield you were riding the trails yeah so you know one of my most favorite places is to head down to sam pete county with kevin christensen who's the director of tourism for sam pete and the arapine trail system which really goes from one end of the skyline drive to the other goes you know, as far east as you can, you know, before you enter into Price and Carbon County and those areas, and then, you know, back west. And I'm so blown away, Steve, by every time we go down there with Kevin, we ride a new section of the Arapine Trail System. It's so vast and amazing. And what I love about it, I think the thing I love the most, and you and I talked about this because we've been up there together, is the fact that it's it's so fun because you get the best of everything. You get to ride these trails. So UTV, you got a power sports machine with you riding around fishing, which I absolutely love. And we fished, you know, beautiful streams, lakes, ponds before. We just did the very same thing with Kevin. But I got to tell you, here was my big takeaway. So stunned that here we are in the end of July, and there's still so much snow up on top of the Skyline Drive. Some of the main trails and roads still aren't open. Yeah, that is amazing. And, uh, I mean, with the temperatures we've had, of course, they haven't had the triple digits up at elevation that we have, but it's been warm up there, and I'm sure you guys felt the heat, even though you were at uh, above 9,000 feet. You still had plenty of uh, heat to deal with. So going out there and being hydrated, obviously one of the keys. Oh, yeah. You know, we make sure we've got our lifetime cooler in the back of our machine. You know, uh, load it with drinks, but 
And and in that way, I think that's so smart. Always, you got to have a couple of things. You got to have plenty of fluid, stuff to eat. You know, mosquito repellent. You got to have your fishing tackle and your emergency kit with you. But you know, Steve, we went up and hit a couple of new lakes that I've not been to before. And here's what I love: if you like to fish, you can catch brown trout, brook trout, cutthroat trout, rainbow trout, grayling, and so and then. You know, some other, few other, I think, hybrid species, tiger trout, are there. And we catch tiger this time on the fly. We catch grayling, um, rainbows. So just absolutely love this ride. And here's the other cool thing. Um, I don't know why, but the European trout system has really been supported well by the U.S. Forest Service and the BLM, and they've been opening up more and more of these trails to 66 inches. So you don't have to try to say, okay, i got to plan my route around the smaller trails. Almost all of them now are open to the bigger machines, and so it makes it so much fun where you can have your big machine and rally these trails. And I'll tell you, we went down trail number 91. you got to remember that, folks, 91. It takes you down through this beautiful steep canyon. You drop off into this river, which is flowing deep, and then power your way back up this amazing steep climb, which is pretty intense, and then it puts you out on top of one of the most gorgeous lakes you're ever going to see. So Trail 91, just so much fun. But, Steve, that is what we did this weekend, and, and I love it because of the diversity. And, man, is everything green. If you want to see, we saw hillsides completely covered in the most beautiful purple flowers, and yellow flowers so thick, it's almost out of a painting. You know, it's just surreal the, what's going on right now with all this moisture and what happened this winter. The mountains have exploded. You know, it's one of those things, and I've said it before, the Arapine Trail, for those of you who have never ridden it, reminds me of what it would be like if we could ride through the Uinas. If if you were able to do that and put trails in the Uinas, in terms of the scenery, in terms of uh, those stands of quakies, and then you get into grasses, and then you get into those those fields of, uh, of flowers, like uh, Gary just explained and just described, that's what the Arapine Trail is with crisscrossed with streams and things of that nature. It, it truly is an amazing part of the state. And I'm shocked, frankly, and pleasantly shocked that we haven't heard from the squeaky wheel Sua people to try and lock that up. Now, I'm not saying that's never going to happen. Unless, if we are vigilant, it won't happen. But enjoy it while you can, because the Arapine Trail System, it's one of the more under-publicized trail systems, I think, that we have out west. And uh, we're going to hear more about one of the more publicized in our final segment on the Paiute Trail. But the Arapine Trail System is one that, uh, relatively speaking, and everything's in perspective, but it is relatively undiscovered when you compare it to some of the others. And I guarantee you, your first experience with that, you're going to say, wow, why didn't I know about this before? And why haven't I been here earlier? So... Yeah, take a look at the show tonight. Uh, I am sure that with Wyatt's cinematography, uh, it's going to be amazing from a scenic standpoint with those colors and then, as you point out, how green it is. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The best description I've ever heard. It's truly like riding through the Uintas. If we could do that, that's what it's like. And absolutely, Wyatt does a phenomenal job. We throw in your favorite. We've got some killer drone footage. Ah, uh, um, yes. But it's just so gorgeous, and we need to get up and use it. And again, Steve, you, you've made another wonderful point. That is, we need to be great stewards of the land, pack out extra trash, whatever you find, take it with you, 
and make sure that we don't go off the that publicized trail um, because that'll be the thing that really puts pressure on limiting access. But if we just stick on the path and you can enjoy some of the best riding, camping, and fishing that the state of Utah has to have, has to offer, excuse me, on the Arapine Trail System. And you can get a map down, uh, jump on, just Google Sampe County Arapine Trail, take you right to their website or stop into their county office and pick up one of these maps. It's got all the fishing spots, riding spots, trails everything listed it's awesome and they also have a link on their website where you can download the online map for your android or iphone so super cool super cool hey buddy thanks and i'm looking forward to seeing the show tonight as always steve Knievel, stay cool stay in the shade <laughs> hydrated and we'll talk to you next week uh there he is the ginger ninja himself canelo yes we call him canelo uh, he's just the guy who gets you in and out to the outdoors as good as it gets with Gary Winterton. 11.05 tonight, right after talking sports, KUTV Channel 2, it is Hooked on Utah. Step aside, final segment coming up right after this. And welcome back, everybody. Final segment on this Saturday morning of Inside the Outdoors. Man, I tell you what, the time just flies. This hour on Saturday just seems to uh, race by so i hope you and yours are having a great time hope you're outdoors maybe extending that 24th of july pioneer day holiday i know some folks started last friday a week ago friday uh and then took the whole week and uh considered the holiday in the middle and then uh and then took the weekend if you're able to do that more power to you i envy you folks uh but hopefully you're still outdoors and enjoying our uh, our great weather despite the triple digits and if you're looking for a cool respite from this weather uh there's uh, well there's several of them but there's one that i think is head and shoulders above about every other one and that is when you start getting down into the marysvale area and the paiute pioneer uh, the paiute atv trail the paiute jamboree which is coming up um, well, not very long from now, and uh, it is one of the ways to get out of the heat to see some of Utah's most spectacular uh, ATV riding country and to enjoy a bunch of folks who are like-minded, have the same kind of values, and just get together and have one heck of a good time. And uh, for more on that, we bring in our final guest of the show, Tyrell Ivey, who is the, uh, uh, I guess, the executive director of the uh, uh, of the, I'll give I'll give him a chance to give you his official title because, as you guys all know, I am horrible with titles. I'm not great with names, but I am uh, worse with titles. I think it's the event manager of the Paiute Trail Jamboree. Tyrell, is that right? Did I get it right? That's right, Steve. I'm oh. the event manager for the Jamboree. Okay. Boy, I'll tell you what. Even a blind hog can find an acorn every once in a while. So I, I did all right with that one. Let's talk about <laughs> it because your event is coming up. I mean, it's right around the corner. It sure is. It'll be about 10 days away, um, early August, which is perfect timing because uh, when you're riding the trails between 5,000 and 11,000 feet, the temperatures are just perfect to get out of that heat. And it's uh, the timing's just right as well for that last hoorah before school starts. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. And the the Paiute Jamboree is one of those. You've got such a um, a diversity of terrain there. Uh, the mountains, obviously. Uh, you know, you've but you've got some some different kinds of riding on the Paiute Trail, and it, it is world famous. I was going to say nationally known, but it, it's world famous. I know you have people come from all over the world at times to ride the Paiute. They've heard about it in Europe. They've. Uh, it's just something that is. Uh, you know that is part of if you're an ATV guy or a fan of ATV, no matter where you live, you've heard of the Paiute Trail. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, some of the the larger companies out there, Can Am and Honda and a few others, uh, they come. That, that's where they come down to to do their promotional videos because they can hit the higher elevations within 20 minutes of being on the trail um, and get so many different terrain types that uh, they just love coming and, and doing their videography down there. Let's talk about some of the rides you've got this year. Uh, I mean, I, I'm assuming you've got the classic rides. That ride over from Big John Flat is one that, you know, when you get up a, a, above the tree line and you've got those uh, the goats up there and everything else on the Tusher Mountains, I mean, that's one that is just kind of a staple. But there are all kinds of different rides, aren't they, that you offer? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, in fact, I get a lot of questions on that, you know, it's, uh, is there something for me because I'm new to this, or is there something for me because I've done this for a long time? And the answer for everybody is yes. Uh, we've, we've got some, some great uh, beginner rides that are short and, and not very difficult. We've got some intermediate rides for those who have done this a little bit. And we've got a couple advanced rides that are a little bit more longer and, and, and have a, a trickier trail. Um, but for the most part... Uh, We've got a great blend of everything for folks. They can come down and, and spend four days just having a good time and stress-free because uh, we have something that suits their level. Yeah, the thing that I, I like about it is all the loop roads that come off that main trail because that's where you get the diversity. You know, you can find things that will go through heavy timbered foliage. You can find things that uh, will go along the creek sides. You can, I mean, it, there is something literally for everybody. Plus, you've got the great history of the place with the mining history out of Marysvale. Um, and then the wildlife viewing there, uh, I've ridden that area before, and, um, you know, you've see, I've seen bear uh, on rides before uh, it is uh, I've seen mountain lion on on rides before it's just one of those places that if you keep your eyes open you come back with all kinds of great stories absolutely and uh, my wife and I just went uh, on our one of our adventure series runs a, a few weeks ago and uh, I, I tell you Steve I wish I could have sent you some of the pictures that we pulled from this and I think everybody would like to see them but just the the, the color schemes here are just so amazing and the the geography and i mean even the geologists are here we see we see universities all the time bringing their students down here because of the wide variety of of things that can be seen in this area yeah it is uh, again if you're looking if you haven't uh, ridden a jamboree uh, I would advise you to do so if you enjoy riding, especially if you're kind of a beginning rider, because you can learn so much from others who ride. Whether you're on a beginning ride or whether you're on a more advanced ride, you can learn some things about how to control your machine. You can learn some things about what you need to do to be prepared, what you need to take with you. You know, side-by-sides in particular offer the opportunity to take so much gear with you now that we couldn't take when we were just riding regular ATVs. And I I think it helps you be more prepared, but the biggest thing is it helps you be more um, 
confident out in the backcountry. And that's one of the things that as you go along and, and participate in this area of our sport more and more, uh, it, it just it becomes more fun when you don't worry quite so much about the mechanics of it. You know what you're doing, and uh, y- you know how to navigate the trails. Plus, you also know how to read a GPS system, maybe look at maps. There are all kinds of things that skills that you learn just by being around people who know how to do them. Absolutely, um, and that's something that we we definitely like to offer our attendees for sure. We have uh, both pro guided rides as well as self guided rides that come with maps and GPS coordinates and whatnot. So people who come here know that they're being taken care of. They have an experience where they can learn. Uh, you know how to be better at this craft, or um, they can just go out and have some experience if they, if they're wanting just to to get out and do that on their own. And so we uh, we we cater to both needs there in hopes that people feel more comfortable and then want to spend more time with us. Give us the dates uh, on it. It's the eighth, is that right? The the first day. The first day is August seventh, and that and that's when people are are getting their registration taken care of, and as well as our first poker run for the uh, for the event. Okay, and then uh, you've got dinners, I'm sure, in the evenings or breakfasts lined up. What what events do you have in association with the the rides? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I'll especially give a, a huge shout out here to the Fremont Indian State Park, just outside of Richfield. Um, we're having our opening social on Wednesday night at the state park, and they have agreed to open the park and all of its um, historic sites and the the uh, uh, the uh, Petroglyph Walk and uh, the, the Kids Zone and the museum and everything is completely free to all Jamboree attendees. Um, and we're going to be doing some, we're going to have some Native American dancing and there's uh, an atlatl throw and, and some fun things, some historic things to go check out. We're having dinner that night there and it's just going to be a really neat experience. Yeah, the I, other days, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go right ahead. The other days, um, on, on Thursday is our first, uh, our guided rides where folks can sign up. And some of these are actually sponsored rides where a lunch is included with those. Um, but those are only sign, are able to be signed up for on the day of. Everyone asks me if there's a pre-registration for our sponsored rides. Uh, we only do sign-ups on those days. So Thursday uh, is, a, is a riding day, and we do have dinner in the evening. I also should mention that for our, our meals, we're we're having the catering done uh, by the award-winning Big Daddy's Deli, also in Richfield, and they do some fantastic food, especially Saturday night when we're having smoked turkey and tri-tip steak. If you haven't had that, you ought to come down and get some. <laughs> uh, they do they do a good job. We uh, Friday, we have our competitive events. So we do UTV soccer. Uh, we have a blind man's obstacle course. Uh, where uh, that's a partner event. The driver actually blindfolds themselves and has to follow the instructions given by their passenger to navigate the course. Um, So that's uh, an entertaining thing to watch. We have our King of the Trail competition, which is a classic uh, timed competition to get through the course. Um, And our mud pit belly flop seems to be the most popular each year. And, uh, of course, we have uh, more, more food and fun on Friday night. Saturday is our last day of rides. Uh, you can sign up for a guided ride again or, or go out on your own for a self-guided if you wish. And uh, we follow up with all of our 
uh, our big prize giveaways on Saturday night. We do raffle drawings each night uh, that folks can buy tickets for, but our big prizes uh, are always done Saturday night. And so uh, we uh, we just have this this week full of fun and exciting things happening. We've got some music uh, for our entertainment for the week. We've, we're coordinating with uh, the SUU students over there in Cedar City. Uh, their Red Rocker performing group is going to come over and, and play for us. And we actually have a uh, a local band up there out of Utah County. Uh, Second Count is coming on uh, Saturday night to play for us. So we've got some some fun stuff going on, some great entertainment, and some great food. And where do they check it out on your website? How do they register? Oh, we have plenty of links on our website, PaiuteJam.com. Uh, the bottom of the main page, if you go to the schedule, we have three or four links throughout uh, the schedule. Um, just go ahead and click any of those links. And uh, if you want to be on our mailing list so you can be sure to register every time the emails go out, uh, there's a link for that on the bottom of the homepage as well. Well, Tyrell, thanks, and uh, best of luck to you with your jamboree. I know it's always a lot of fun down there at the Paiute Jamboree, and just encourage folks to check out the website and uh, see if it's not something you might want to do with your family. What a great way to get away and get out of the heat and see some of the most spectacular area of our state. So uh, thanks for being with us this morning, and uh, we'll catch you on the trail. All right. Thanks for having me, Steve. You have a good day. Thank you. That's Tyrell Ivey, the event manager for the Paiute Jamboree that begins on the 7th of August down there in Marysville. Check out their uh, their website, PaiuteJam.com. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us. We are done for the day. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show today and hope you're enjoying your week. Get out, enjoy our outdoors, and we'll be along next Saturday, same time, between 8 and 9, right here on 97.5 The Zone. Until then, take care, my friends, and as always, you have been warned. <laughs>